Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, John? Um, it goes, uh, it goes and it goes and it goes. <laughs> I notice, I notice that you are wearing a Cutters t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, a reference to the classic... Uh, cycling film breaking away Mm -hmm. the greatest cycling Uh, film of all time let's just be clear about this uh, okay (laughs) okay i'm not going to argue with you um i started to write a useless review of the film breaking away and the the words just kept going and speaking of going and going and going uh the, the words just kept going for so long that i stopped and i was like this is incoherent <laughs> there's so much to say about this <laughs> well I'm, i may have to go look for that in drafts some night <laughs> yeah i would i w- i don't want to say too much because it w- at some point i will get it together <laughs> and and push it out into the light of of day but um but yes yeah you know maybe for one of my upcoming polls i should tell the story of the 90th anniversary celebration of mozzie um and the get together uh that my unfortunately now deceased friend james winchester who was the product manager back then put together uh, to celebrate Mozzie um, in, down San Diego way. Uh, he even managed to get uh, Dennis Christopher, uh, who plays the hero, uh, to come down for the thing. And in a funny, uh, somewhat unfortunate, but also very fortunate to me sequence of events, I ended up going for a ride with him and a friend of his. The with Dennis ride. Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I went for a ride with Dave Flippin Stoller. Uh, you broke away uh, with some, Dave Stoller? From, from the back. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was me, him, and a friend of his. Uh, we got accidentally separated from the whole group that was there to go for a ride with Dave Stoller. Um, and they did their ride. And I thought, well, somebody ought to be decent to stay with this guy. Um, and it proved to be an incredibly touching experience. Uh, oh. it went, it went in a direction that I never would have seen coming. I just didn't want the two of them to get lost because they don't ride in San Diego. And while I don't ride in San Diego a lot, I've ridden down there enough that I knew which turns to take, uh, to, to avoid like landing in the ocean. So, and so what, uh, how did, in what way did this event become touching? Well, that's why I'm going to write a whole poll about this oh, in the I next see. week I or see. two. 
we're going to get the whole story later. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the way, because otherwise I'll just hijack the show with this. No, I like that. Let's do a show uh, with themed riding with greatness, because I have a good story <gasps> on that, do. too. You really do. I, yeah. I envy yours uh, crazily, you know, oh, like Green Eyed yeah. Monster. I just I it's yeah, your your story is awesome sauce. So, well, maybe next week. I, I think we've just settled on next week's show. Hi, All friends. Right. Welcome to our production meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, what are you pulling on today? Oh, <laughs> yes. Moving on. Um, today, I want to talk about convergence. All right. And I'm not um, talking about Ray Kurzweil uh, singularity style convergence. I'm talking specifically uh, about the way bike categories converge over time. Hmm. It's it's natural to think about the various kinds of bikes as separate things. Mm -hmm. Humans love to do this. We love to categorize things. Um, A gravel bike is not a mountain bike. A road bike is not a gravel bike. Except, of course, when they are. But we'll get to that. (laughs) When I started riding road bikes, they had rim brakes and the standard tire was 23 millimeters. Mm -hmm. There were still there were still people riding 19 millimeter tires then. Yes. The jump. But everyone was on 23s. By and large. Yeah. The jump from road to cyclocross uh, was 32 millimeter tires and cantilever brakes. Mm-hmm. And that's what a cyclocross bike was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from there to a 26 inch hardtail mountain bike with 2.1 inch tires. Oh, easy, 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 easy there. It was 1.75 to 1.95 if you were well, lucky back yeah. in the early 90s. In the 80s, yeah. it was 1.75 on a good day. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is, in defining these things, what I'm the point I'm trying to make is that you could define them. Yeah. Yeah. That's what those bike categories were. Partly. Let's just get this out there. You may already be going there, but, you know, let's just get it out there that part of the reason that these definitions were um, so easily nailed to the wall, it was due to lack of choice. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to get there. Okay. Yeah, sit tight. So what we saw happen, particularly as the idea of gravel bikes started to take hold, was that road bike tires got wider. So now it feels like 28 millimeters is the standard with disc brakes, and that's for a pure road bike. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. There's still some people on 25s. There might even be some dinosaurs rolling around on 23s. Oh, yeah. They they live here in Santa Rosa. Yeah. Uh, They're out there. I know they are. And when I call them dinosaurs, I hope they don't think I don't love them because I do. Yeah. I'm all about the triceratops. Yes. Um, Gravel bikes and to a much lesser extent cyclocross, which was never a big category by numbers. Like, everyone knew what a cyclocross bike is, but not everyone had a cyclocross bike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everyone talked about getting a cyclocross bike. <laughs> I, did but my until, first, I did my first cross races on a mountain bike. Yeah. Until, I, I think there were a lot of people who really liked the idea of cyclocross, but didn't, weren't racers or didn't have racing near them. And they were like, I want that bike, but I don't know what for. Well, yeah. And then, 
Right. And then gravel bikes came along. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they pick up at 32 millimeters uh, tire wise and run up to 45. I mean, bigger sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that begins to overlap with the thinner mountain bike tires I was talking about a minute ago. <laughs> gravel bikes are getting dropper posts now. We reviewed one on the site yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh and and they're even getting suspension forks sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That exists. Yeah, my friends at Niner. Yep. Yeah. Mountain bikes run from 2.3, which are skinnies now. <laughs> Up to what? I mean, five inch if you rope in fat bikes. Well, and down to 2.15 if you're racing cross country. Sure. (laughs) Again, like cyclocross, that's a very narrow uh, category of things and people. But yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, bike designer, I think what's happened is that bike designers who are looking for ways to differentiate their bikes, they filled in all the gaps between the categories. Mm hmm. You've got road slash light gravel. You've got hard tails that are also maybe gravel bikes now. Um, the point is that what seemed like an array of separate categories is really a continuum of bikes with overlap between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unseen part of this dynamic, and this gets a little bit to your point earlier about choice, the unseen part of the dynamic is UCI standards for manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the average uh, Joe and Jane walking into uh, a bike shop don't aren't thinking about the UCI standards much, but bike designers and bike companies historically have done so. Mm-hmm. And the UCI has, for many decades... Uh, sort of choked innovation by more or less <laughs> proscribing what bike companies could sell. Yes, they are the classic spanner in the works, if you will. Yes. The effects of that uh, has been more deleterious than most people understand. <laughs> yes. In my, that's an opinion. That was a hot take I oh. just threw out. As a result, for example, the road bike evolved very little between 1960 and 1990. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that jibe, jibe with your recollection of? Uh, yeah, th- there were there there were outliers uh, in terms of design. You know, Kestrel, uh, the Teledyne Titan, uh, which was a titanium bike. Um, <laughs> was it a bike? <laughs> well, I think of it as a titanium rubber band. Um, yes. but that's because I actually got a chance to ride one. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, 98% of everything was, uh, steel and lugged until the first stuff started being TIG welded. And that was mostly mountain stuff. Yeah. And the brakes were kind of all flavors of the same thing. And the wheels were all flavors of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we see today is a relaxing of those strictures based on the evolution of disc brakes. Mm -hmm. And I think the wholesale kind of creation of the gravel category, not to mention things like free ride mountain biking, which broke the idea of what a mountain bike is or could do. Or could do, you know, like uh, it wasn't that long ago that cross country mountain biking was mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now it's, uh, you know, you don't buy a cross country mountain bike unless you like to throw up. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's uh, cross country mountain biking, which I love, uh, is mountain biking for people who like road biking also. <laughs> it's not the guilty you know, as charged. Yeah, there's not um, uh, the gravity crowd kind of took mountain biking and said, you guys are doing it wrong. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not arguing with them. That's fine. Um, so what's followed all that has been kind of an explosion in innovation yeah. uh, in the last 15 years. 20 years with bike designers kind of throwing all their ideas against the wall to see what's going to stick. And there are a slew of bikes put out over the last five to 10 years that were pretty clearly evolutionary dead ends. (laughs) Uh, Give us a couple of examples in your estimation. Um, Well, I mean, all of the 26 inch dual suspension bikes are kind of non that's not even a thing now yes um praise be there are people still riding mullet bikes 29 (laughs) front 27 five rear that should have gone out before it started well I, i agree but i have engineer friends who just insist that it's good not as silly as it seems not as silly as it's my, my point being, I think that, um, there's, there's proprietary technology that companies were really betting on Mm -hmm. taking hold Mm -hmm. that did not. Mm -hmm. You've got all those DI two bikes that were sold initially with external wiring. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, those are not a, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got, um, gosh, I just feel like there's so much that, uh, there's the 35, uh, the 135 rear spacing disc generation, which was a few bikes, uh, how about, uh, a few how about seasons quick release, of that. Quick release with discs. Yeah. Quick release with discs. That's right. <laughs> that's I mean, right. I, you know, that that's gone is a really lucky thing. We, we all, uh, we all survived that. Yeah, I had one of those bikes. I enjoyed it quite well. Um, I don't think it was bad. I understand why we are where we are. But my 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 overarching point here is that, I mean, there's a lot that made it to market that was not the finished thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. OK. Yeah. You know, like uh, half baked cookies so that they're still pretty soft. Yeah. A wonderful thing. Half-baked bicycles? Less so. Less so. Less so. I mean, I'm a big fan of things that have what I I call upgrade and afterlife, which I think is a Mission of Burnama record. Mm. But that's beside the point. Upgrade and afterlife, right? So you buy it, and then you have, I hope, at least 10 years where the frame is a viable thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Either to ride in the configuration you you bought it in or to be upgraded with new the new things as you wear out the old things. But there's a lot of stuff that came out between 2008 and 2015 that had no there was nothing at the end of the runway. There was an awful lot of spaghetti on the wall. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a lucky thing that only some of it stuck. I think so. I think so. But I think a lot of it is in people's garages. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. It is the stuff of Craigslist legend. You know, for a while there, I was thinking that as my eldest son, Philip, was growing, that there was going to come a point where he was going to outgrow 24-inch wheels and it would be time to jump to 26-inch wheels. And instead of looking for um, a a new bike with 26-inch wheels, I ought to go looking for something that was like, you know, hot tech in 2011 with 26 inch wheels. Um, and then I realized, Oh, I'd be forcing this kid onto something with a hundred millimeter stem, um, (laughs) and you know, a higher bottom bracket and, you know, on and on with all sorts of bad ideas or, or ideas we have eliminated as good ideas. Well, I wouldn't say bad good. I'd say optim, uh, more optimal and suboptimal. Uh, so, yeah, I, I submit that buying a, let's say, a, a circa 2011 top of the line 26 inch wheel mountain bike with full suspension is a distinctly suboptimal solution. Well, I wouldn't, you know, I think a 26-inch hardtail for a young person is a great way to learn bike handling skills that will translate very well to a more optimal bike once a child uh, grows into their full-size body. That sounds... I shouldn't say full-size, an adult-size body. (laughs) I, I... You know, that sounds great. You know, on paper, it looks <laughs> wonderful. The thing is, uh, because Philip was on um, a bike from Prevelo, it featured his 24 inch wheel bike, which is now Matthew's bike, uh, featured that longer top tube, shorter stem uh, style design. So to take him to an older Backwards. design uh, mindset, when this kid is already high posting a hardtail off of jumps that I get nervous on with a full suspension bike and uh, a dropper post, I, I, I need to cut this kid all the slack he can so that I'm not, I'm buying bikes and not dental work. (laughs) Well, I've got bad news. Uh, I have older kids. You're going to be buying the dental work anyway. Okay. So, so, so what happens now? I suspect because humans deal best in discrete categories, like I said in the beginning, and we Mm -hmm. love concrete terms, that a lot of these categories are going to shake themselves out. And that can either be shaking out, you know, suboptimal designs, or it might just be shaking out the vocabulary so that when you say cross-country bike, you actually know what that means. And when you say enduro bike, you know exactly what that means. And we get rid of con- terms like down-country bike. I, I, Wait, I don't know what? what that is. Yeah. You oh, said- yeah. Down-country bike. Look it up. Okay. Yeah. Well, Part there's the a problem. movement I didn't even know about. I yeah, might want to as- party with those guys. You and, might. And, and, and women. And women. whoever's whoever's playing in that i may want to party with you you may you may look it up um so do my i'm wondering if in five years or so we'll know for example what a cross-country mountain bike is we'll know what a road bike is etc i think you know i think road is uh 
if you use jello as a metaphor, it is the most <laughs> still category, right? You know that a road bike is probably a 28 millimeter tire, disc brakes, uh, subtly sloping top tube, etc. Um, gravel bike still in flux a bit. Tires have gone big, 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 big. Are they going to come back as people say, but wait a minute. Um, I don't know. Um, mountain bikes are all over the map. I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to get to mountain bike, but <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the subdivisions in that neighborhood or, uh, that's the wrong metaphor, but you know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. the subcategories could iron themselves out. Is that going to happen in five years or is, is it spaghetti against the wall? Still, are we going to 32 inch wheels <laughs> or, or 36 like black sheep does? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, do you oh, have other I've, questions you want to pose or do uh, I jump in now? You jump in now. Okay. I want to know where, where, where you see the direction of design of this current design era heading. Well, okay. So, uh, First, I submit that I think a lot of these definitions are much easier to wrap our heads around now, despite some fuzzy margins. You know, my my English teacher, you know, would mark red margins if you didn't stay within. Mm. Um, And uh, so I I don't I mean, yeah, the, the margins are a little fuzzy in some spots, but I think it's easy enough to define what a road bike is. Uh, I mean, I think I can capture 99% of everything out there in terms of, you know, traditional road bike, like what you'd take on a group ride. We're leaving out touring and a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I see a road bike as having, you know, a roughly 73 to 74 degree head tube angle, Somewhere between four and four and a half centimeters of fork rake, uh, a seat tube angle somewhere in the 73, 74 degree range, um, you know, seven ish centimeters of bottom bracket drop and tires that are 25 to 28 millimeters wide and a drivetrain that's 10 to 12 gears and probably two chain rings. What strikes me about what you just said um, which was great, by the way. Um, deeply you. nerdy and, and effective. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah. What what strikes me about that? So there, for people like you, and to a lesser extent like me, um, we can look at a bike and say what it is. Or if someone says, "What's a what's a bike packing setup?" like we could describe that for them in in various ways i could make them go to sleep with that yes exactly but here's my point here's my point you and i are not who i'm talking about i'm talking about the joe and jane from before who walk through the door of the bike shop and say i want a mountain bike mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the salesperson looks at them and says um <laughs> because a mountain bike is is like 40 different things. Sure, sure. That's and a, sure yeah. you go down the road, right? The salesperson then goes down the road. Where are you going to ride this bike? 
what bikes have you ridden before? There's a process to get them to the right bike. Mm -hmm. What I'm interested in is a time when a casual rider can know what bike they're interested in walking through the door. Not the nerds. Probably, I don't even know if I'm talking to any of the people listening to this show, but I'm talking about when are we going to get to the point where my neighbor who rides, you know, once a month, maybe Mm -hmm. can will come to me and say, hey, I was looking at the Ibis Ripley because blah, Mm -hmm. it's this, it's this thing. Uh-huh. Are we, is that ever going to happen or are we or is that horse well out of the barn? We have passed peak mountain bike. Yeah, you, we're, we're, you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're we're way beyond that. Um, I now that said, um, similarly, I think we know what a cross country mountain bike is. Uh, the only question is, is it full suspension or a hardtail? But, oh, you know, it's then we don't then we is incorrect because I don't know what a cross country mountain bike oh. is. Well, it's, and I ride them. <laughs> um, and I maybe, think it matters maybe. which country you're crossing. But go on. Um, uh, you know, it's a much shorter travel bike. Um, you're, the, the fork is not going to have more than 120 millimeters of travel. It's probably only 100 the rear is going to be a hundred millimeters of travel. That's a cross country bike. That's a race bike. Yeah. Yeah. I submit that cross country is, is synonymous race? with race. Oh, I never would have said. So a trail bike is then what comes next. Yes. And I submit that, uh, what people need to do when they walk in the bike shop, it rather than say, I want to buy a mountain bike. They need to say, I want to buy a trail bike. If you don't know which category you're looking for, you're looking for a trail bike. Right. So, right. Okay. I, I'll accept all your definitions because I can. Uh, <laughs> but but I promise you that neither Joe nor Jane Consumer has any idea what a trail bike is. I, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I don't dispute that. Um, and I... Um, You know, the mountain bike publications are just as deeply nerdy into uh, what a good mountain bike is as I am with uh, a road bike or or a gravel bike. Um, I possess more knowledge about those things than anyone really ought to. Um, And the problem with most of the mountain bike sites out there is that they write. uh, And I mean, I've been guilty of this, too. I don't want to say i i uh if i fling any poo i'm getting it on myself too okay um uh, they assume a level of knowledge and clarity about the various divisions that is not especially helpful to the average consumer and for all the grief that people give bicycling for what they are not bicycling magazine and their website continues to be a really terrific clearinghouse of solid um uh, solid information for people who are uh miraculously jargon free mm. yeah um you know they they do a good job of speaking to people who aren't living 
breathing, eating, and showering yes. this stuff. Right, right, right. So this is exactly what I'm saying. Will bike design reach a point where the common conception of each type of bike trickles down to that enthusiast rider so that they know they want a trail bike or I know I want a, a bike park bike um, or whatever, whatever the category is. I, I, I think we're going to continue to face uh, people who don't know much about mountain biking, but are thinking about getting a mountain bike. That is, they have not already had a full suspension bike or something with a dropper post or anything like that. Mm. Those folks who are examining the sport and thinking, I want some of that fun rather correctly. I might add, uh, sure. you do want that fun. Um, I think those folks are going to continue to not understand, uh, <laughs> that they need to walk in and ask for a trail bike. Um, unless they start doing some reading. If you haven't done a bunch of reading, um, then the terms enduro, cross country, trail, uh, downhill. Those yeah, I'm not even clear on the terms. I'm not even clear on the terms. I read all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what one person's enduro bike is, is another person's, I don't know. I just feel like there's so much overlap, which is part of my point about convergence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much overlap between these things that it, it's really hard to say. I will, I will submit that I think we may have gone a little too far in trying to slice up these categories yes. and define yes. them. Yes. Uh, I, I submit. You've submitted a lot. Go um, on. I, and I will continue to please. Please um, do. Uh, I, I think where mountain bikes are concerned we can go with cross country trail free ride slash enduro. Um, that's a problem of its own. And then downhill. Um, uh, things get very fuzzy between the free ride slash uh, da uh, enduro and downhill bikes. Yeah. Um, that gets very fuzzy at the extreme, you know, the eight inch bike, you can say, okay, that's a downhill bike. Yeah. Um, but you can race downhill on stuff that's, you know, uh, 160, um, you know, six inches. Um, and then there's, you know, there's certainly blurriness between the, the free ride slash enduro category and trail. There's sure there's they're kissing each other. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're arm in arm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more clarity so far as I see, uh, having, having geeked out to the, about this stuff to the point of spreadsheets, guilty as charged. Um, I think there's a lot of clarity between cross country and trail. There's, there's some blurring of edges in there. You know, you can buy, uh, uh you could ride, you could ride a 120, 100 bike. Yep. Cross country, very That's, happily. Yeah, well, precisely what was stolen from me last year. Yeah, yeah. The the pivot Mach Four SL. Um, you can buy that either with a one hundred fork um, for true cross country, or you can get the one twenty, which slackens out the head tube angle a little, gives a little better manner on uh, manners on quick downhills. But it's still a one hundred bike 
in the rear and that keeps the wheelbase a little shorter which gets you around turns a little quicker and see everyone's eyes are glazing over even though i can't see them <laughs> all right let's yes <laughs> <laughs> all right bike industry work on it straighten it out for christ's sakes you know it, to your point though one thing i will also say is like Okay, we know what a cyclocross bike is because the UCI has stunted its growth. Sure. Um, But given the way uh, gravel bikes ride on a cyclocross course uh, for all but the most hardcore of, of cyclocross racers, by and large, unless you are just... Uh, well, hell bent on throwing up as much as possible and, and racing the full cyclocross season, just buy a gravel bike. It's a far more versatile bike. Yeah. People can buy a gravel bike and then buy a second set of wheels and have one set of wheels set up with 38s and one set of wheels set up with 28s and be done with it as far as drop bars go. My um, my allied Echo has these cool little alum- machined aluminum chips in the fork and the rear dropouts that you can flip around depending on the size tire you're running. Um, so with the bigger tires, uh, the chips flip and they move um, the axles away from the bottom bracket, uh, away from the for- fork crown. And that gives you more tire clearance and then you can flip them back around and put on a set of wheels with uh, road tires and that shortens up the wheelbase a little bit, gives the bike a little bit more traditional road manners. That's that's everything you might want to do with drop bars, except for maybe loaded touring. We should do it. We should do a piece how to live with three bikes. Oh, again, we don't have to have a production meeting now. Yeah, I, I might need a tranquilizer as well. But three let's, is a very small number. Let's go to a word from our sponsors and then let's <laughs> talk about whatever you're talking about. Okay, will do. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. Um, uh, this is a recurring theme with me, but uh, when, when Shimano put out their GRX component group, their gravel-specific componentry, my first uh, reaction was really we need a we need a gravel specific uh, component group, um, but you know as is always the case in my history, I ended up uh, getting some, uh, putting it on my bike. I have a GRX Di2 one by setup on my uh, gravel bike, which is my go to my do everything bike, and I love it so much. I love it so much. It's not a road group and it's not a mountain group, but it does exactly what I wanted to do out on the trail, uh, in a way that I didn't, I didn't imagine or could have conceived of before it came out. So there you go. Innovation from a company that doesn't probably have to innovate, uh, but does and keeps after it. And so we're proud to have them as sponsors of the podcast. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What are you pulling this week? Well, I've got another listener question today, uh, one that you fielded for me. Uh, this one's from John in Michigan. He writes Shadow Producer John. Yeah. Uh, I recall you talking about wide shoes on the pace line 
back in the RKP days. I'm comfortable in my Shimano XC7 wide MTB shoes, but they don't take a three bolt cleat. I have worn out the Bontrager road shoes I bought seven years ago and can't find road shoes from Shimano, Bontrager, or Specialized that are wide enough. Can you recommend some other manufacturers with wider lasts? Uh, well, the short answer is yes. Um, John doesn't mention if he has looked into Shimano's wide last in the road shoes, but it sounds like maybe he hasn't. Um, he mentions them in the mountain shoe. They do offer them in roads. And that's my go-to. Uh, the wide last shoes from Shimano, uh, their, their wide shoes tend to be the most widely available. Um, See what you did there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> pun not intended, but relished nonetheless. <laughs> Um, nearly every bike shop on the planet needs an account with Shimano just to stay in business, uh, just from a standpoint of repair parts. So, uh, any local shop that someone's dealing with should be able to order these shoes. Now, uh, I have caveats. Um, I'm, I am that sort of guy. So, um, where Shimano shoes are concerned, uh, they are only available uh, the wide last that is are only available in some models. And in most of those models, they are only available in whole sizes, which limits their appeal a bit. I admit, um, Shimano offers the following road shoes in their wide last S fire, which is their top of the line shoes, uh, as well as the RC seven, a very nice shoe, the RC five, and the RC3, which is a really excellent budget-oriented shoe. So that gives folks four different price points to choose from. And just last weekend, as I was researching uh, this for John, I found out something that I didn't know about, and I may have missed a press release from Shimano. The S-Fire Wide is now available in half sizes through most of their run. I have been wearing the 42 Wide because they don't, they didn't previously make a 41 and a half wide. Um, and so now I'm all fired up to try the 41 and a half wide. You're all fired up to, to try the S. Yes. Fire. Yep. Wow. You're killing it today. I, I am just a very punny guy. Um, so I, I do need to add that for women who need a wider shoe than Shimano's women last, uh, women's last, uh, we'll need to just look at the men's shoes, uh, either the standard width, which is wider than the women's last, or if they've got really wide feet, they probably have been wearing Shimano's women's shoes. They'll need to go for the uh, double E width. Next on my list of solutions is Lake. Uh, Lake's shoes are terrifically well-made and crazy comfortable because many of their shoes, all the ones I've reviewed anyway, are made from genuine leather. Uh, which means they will stretch a bit and the fit will improve with time. Uh, you've worn some of their shoes as well, right? Some of the winter stuff. I have worn their winter boots with great satisfaction. Mm. Uh, I'm glad I don't live in a place where I need those, but <laughs> I do covet them nonetheless because I am that sort. My third option for wide shoes is to look at Bont. Um and I'll say that these are kind of gradually increasing in price as we go. Um, they offer their Vapor variants, which of which there are a bunch, as well as their Helix model 
in uh, a wide uh, a wide version. Uh, as a matter of fact, those same shoes, uh, Bont makes four different widths. Uh, one of which is an Asian fit, um, and I. I didn't have time to read up on it. I don't know what Asian fit means. Uh, someone else may be able to tell me. Um, I get what's going on with the uh, eyepiece and eyewear uh, for Asian people. Um, mm. But I don't know what makes uh, a shoe particularly suited to someone who is Asian. Um, I don't I don't have the answer to that either. Asia is a big place, but go on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they... Um, they also offer uh, a semi-custom shoe and then full custom as well. Um, so there probably are more choices through Bont than most anybody else on the planet. My last option, um, and this one is both uh, dismaying and delicious, uh, is to go full custom with D2. The man behind D2 is Don Lamson. These are handmade shoes. I've known Don for 25 years and have been wearing his shoes for hmm, nearly that long. Uh, I went seven years wearing almost nothing but his previous company's shoes, uh, Lamson. Um, now, because these are handmade and they are fully custom, they are not cheap. His shoes start... And this is only for a couple of models. His shoes start at $970 without orthotics. And buying his shoes without orthotics is a little bit like buying a car without air conditioning. You can get along without it, but why would you? Uh, I, I think 50% of the point of a custom shoe is so that you can have the exact right orthotic. Yes. I'm a, yeah. And so I, I love his shoes for that. But, you know, seriously, uh, given all these various options, Sh Shimano is my favorite option because they've done a terrific job with the shape of their wide last. It roughly correlates to a double E width, which for my potato shaped feet is really good. Um, and, you know, again, uh, a lot of what comes down to finding a shoe that uh, that fits is finding what's available. Um, there's just, there's nothing wide that is as widely available. Here I go again, uh, as Shimano. Um, so yeah. Uh, and because they offer four different models in wide, you know, even if you can't hit exactly the model you want, you can probably get a very good quality shoe in a wide fit. Good stuff. Yeah. Do you have foot problems, foot feet issues? I don't. I, I wear a size nine and a half. My feet are real regular in shape. I have all kinds of options. Because I wear a nine and a half, everything is sold out all the time. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not riding barefoot much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I anytime somebody offers a wide shoe, I my heart goes pitter patter. I get really mm. excited. Um but that's because over the years I've worn so many shoes, uh, cycling street and otherwise that just really were, I mean, they were long enough, but they were not wide enough by any means. That's frustrating. I just I, uh, found out that Vans makes a wide shoe. They do. Yeah. 
Jiro Jiro also sells some of their shoes in wide versions. HV, high volume. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, It's not quite the same thing. It does help. Um, The last itself is no wider, but the upper uh, is made bigger. And so it can permit someone with a wider foot to better fit in their shoes. Find the room to roam. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But not ideal if the last isn't wider. It's it's not a perfect solution, Um, but, you know, if all you can find is Jiro, give it a try. I've worn uh, one of their HV shoes previously, and yeah, uh, it was compared to a standard width last with a standard upper. It was an improvement, but it was not a wide shoe. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good information. Yeah. John, I hope you find a shoe. Yeah. Check in and with it, us. And any of you other hobbit-footed people out there. My peeps. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, moving right along, Paceline Picks. Right. Uh, this week, I'm picking a shirt, although hmm. Fox call it a jersey. Okay. It's not a jersey. It has no pockets. Hmm. It's a but- It's a button-down short-sleeve shirt with a collar. Okay. It's the Fox Ranger dry release jersey, and it looks sharp. As far as I can tell, also, it's a unisex item, or they offer it in both men's and women's sizing. I'm not 100% clear on that. Okay. Uh, It is difficult to find on the Fox site. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm clear on. Uh, As an aside... For my friends at Fox, I don't, I don't actually have any, but but if there's anyone from Fox listening, please stop calling everything you make Ranger. <laughs> it makes individual items impossible to find. Uh, but OK, why do I like this shirt? Uh, I'd be lying if I failed to, to if I failed to start with its looks. It comes in a great kind of me- muted medium blue color that makes my heart sing. Uh, there's a like a. A primer gray color that I also like. Uh, drab things really are my are my jam. Um, the cut is slim and crisp. It's just a sharp garment. Hmm. Uh, on the bike, I like that I can unbutton it to get more ventilation, which I almost always need. Uh, and I like that I can wear it on the bike and not look like a sweaty dolt when I'm running errands. Hmm. Uh, It'll be good, I think, with a base layer underneath in the fall. Um, Bike fashion, in my opinion, is a bit of an oxymoron. So I'm (laughs) struggling with the fact that I'm recommending a piece mainly because of how it looks. But here we are. Let no one accuse me of substance over style. The Fox (laughs) Ranger dry release jersey retails for $89.95. So not cheap, but looks seldom are. So, I mean... Essentially, what we're talking here is that it's it looks like a pretty reasonable button down shirt, but it's made from technical materials and has a fit that works for a cyclist. That's correct. Well, if I normally pay 40 to 60 dollars for a decent quality shirt, paying, you know, 50 percent to 100 percent more than that for something that um, I can wear on the bike and uh, not end up looking gross. Um, cause sweating in, co- in cotton looks gross. It, it just does. always does. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, this sounds neat. I, I, 
uh, I've got a, a shirt from Pearl Izumi that's much the same thing. Man-made yeah. fibers, wicks well, uh, allows me freedom of movement on the bike. Yeah. Yeah, there are some good options out there. Um, and maybe this is old man stuff. Like maybe the youngsters are all wearing their, I don't know what they're wearing. But uh, for me, you know, like Club Ride has some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Pearl has some good mm-hmm. stuff. Even um, non-bike companies like Poncho Outdoors, which is, a, I think, primarily a fishing. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what their real outdoor focus is, but they make some technical uh, button-down shirts that are pretty sharp-looking. Um, yeah, they're all kind of in this category in this price range. But check out the Fox Ranger. I, I, I have it, and I like it. Cool. Uh, I'll be looking at it myself. <laughs> My pick this week is a wide shoe in, in, yeah, see what I did there. Uh, in in keeping with the question from John of Michigan. So my pick is the Shimano S fire shoe, which comes in both road and mountain versions. As I mentioned before, I wear the 42 wide, but I may get to wear the 41 and a half wide soon. Um, (laughs) yeah. And again, this is roughly a double E width. Uh, Shimano standard last is a D width. Um, just so people have some frame of reference there. Um, I think Shimano must be getting ready to release a new shoe this fall or winter because this shoe normally goes for $430 suggested retail. I am seeing it discounted online for $219. Uh, So that tells me people are blowing it out. And they must have an excuse for that. I suspect that any place that actually has the wide in stock will probably still be selling it for $430, though. I can go chapter and verse about all the little details on this shoe, like the double boa closure, the power zone lace guides, the stabilizing heel cup, and all sorts of other little features. None of that is why I love this shoe, (laughs) aside from the fact that it's wide. Here's why I like the shoe. The upper is very supple, unusually supple for an artificial leather. There's a real lack of different panels sewn together, uh, and that reduces bulk, um, and it also reduces weight. But the real payoff is that with fewer panels and things sewn together, it keeps the upper more flexible. I'll point out that the Michelin rubber used for the lugs on the uh, sole of the mountain shoe wear out quicker than most lugs I've encountered. They're very grippy, um, but grippy stuff wears out faster. Uh, However, for gravel riding and mountain biking that can involve some hike a bike, I do like this show a lot. Uh, The flexibility of the upper helps offset some of the stiffness of the sole in walking. Um, and that's despite the fact that this rates a 12 on Shimano's 12 point stiffness scale. Take that spinal tap. Yeah. I was going to say who develops a 12 point scale. Well, when they figured out, Oh, we can make something stiffer than our 10. Oh, they had to go somewhere. It it went to 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah. I think they may have gone straight to 12 from 10. I don't recall. Oh, Yeah. And maybe they were like, no prime numbers. No. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, a curious little thing. So having uh, worn and reviewed uh, uh, these S-Fire shoes in both road and mountain, 
and their stiffness of 12 and having also worn some of Bont's shoes and reviewed them. Uh, Bont's sole uh, or, or um, the, the carbon last that they make their shoes from, it must be like a 36. <laughs> on a scale of 12? Yes. Uh, on a scale of 10. <laughs> on a scale of oh. 10. Yes. Oh, okay. I, I have not worn a stiffer shoe in my life. Mm. Um, it, their sole is so, so stiff that I actually ding them for it. Oh. Uh, it's, it, it's like the perfect shoe for the crit monster. Yeah. You know, if, if you live to sprint on a road bike, have I got the shoe for you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, there will be links, uh, to all of these things that we talked about in our show notes. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, you got anything fun this weekend, John? I am, uh, so I have a confession to make here, which is a few weeks ago, I went to Kingdom Trails with my friends and I rode very hard on mountain bikes for the, for three straight days. Mm -hmm. And one of those days was also my wedding anniversary. My wife said, no, you go ahead. Um, but you know, that's not, that's not great. Uh, so this weekend, my wife and I are going away, um, to celebrate our anniversary, uh, we're going down down to Cape Cod. We'll eat some seafood, uh, enjoy some cooler weather and some less crowded places. Maybe ride some beach cruisers, which is a category that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be my weekend. Awesome. Awesome. I'm hoping to get mountain bike rides in on both days. That's crazy. That's my big goal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Are those Anadel rides? Saturday could be Anadel, but I might try to slip away to the Gianni trails, uh, out West. Uh, Sunday will certainly be the Gianni trails out West. Um, I, I just, I want to, I want to be, uh, the Labrador retriever jumping into the river, tongue lolling Mm. and just happy. And yes, that's what I'm looking for. Chase it. I love it. Yeah. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for uh, one of TCI's other podcasts, Revolting, which is a cycling podcast, not really about cycling, with John and Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. Um, and uh, I will share with our listeners uh, a, a review that I got personally from a friend just the other day. Um, he, he loves the show, um, called you guys Salt of the Earth. Salt of the earth. Yes. That's, that's one of the nicer things I've been called. Yeah. I, I think that was sea salt, not iodized, but I can't really be certain. Uh, I'll, I'll see him tomorrow and I can ask. Sure. Uh, alrighty. Send us more questions. This is fun. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us it makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Emlyn Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Pace Line. <laughs> <laughs>